Welcome to the Ice Team Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Durham, where we talk all things ice fishing and beyond. And today, I've got somebody really special here that I've been so excited to do this interview. I've got Conservation Officer Mike Martin here. Mike, thank you so much for coming and sitting down with me tonight. Uh, what an absolute pleasure, because we are in the epicenter of where we both grew up. We are a hop, skip, and a jump away from the lake that we both call home. Oh my gosh, we're in Nevis, Minnesota. If you don't know where Nevis is, it is, I wouldn't call it a metropolis necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> it's about an hour, about an hour south of Bemidji with a population of 400 people. Unless it's summer, it's a lot more. And you and I both graduated from Nevis High School. Amazing, isn't it? And look at us now. <laughs> and now, now we're sitting in a man cave talking ice fishing. And beyond. And beyond. This is going to be beyond. I feel bad for your listeners. <laughs> well, I was thinking uh, about our past together. I mean, we grew up together. We're a couple years apart, but we spent a lot of time together out in the field, out in the boat, uh, playing football together. We went to state together. I mean, what an awesome childhood. What a great place to grow up. You know, one of the benefits of, of living in a small town is you don't just associate with kids that are your own age. Uh, everybody in the little podunk town of Nevis knew who Jason Durham was. They knew who Mike Martin was. They knew the other athletes in town. And everyone made sure that we were, one, follow, being uh, doing what we were supposed to do almost every day for the most part, and and two, you know, supported us in, in, in all of that. And it didn't matter if you were a senior or, in your case, a freshman when we were going to school. We knew each other. We hung out together. And that was a real benefit of, uh, I think, the, the younger kids get to see the older kids uh, hopefully doing stuff the right way, and, and the older kids have something to live up to, too. And, and uh, there, there's a lot of that modeling stuff that's going on in these small towns, maybe more so than in the larger towns. I would totally agree with that. I know when I was a kid, I looked up to anybody older than me with great admiration. I mean, you guys are our circle of friends. I mean, I always held a huge amount of respect for you guys. And um, you talk about doing the right thing. I always joke about growing up in Nevis, that it really is a village that, that raises a child. I joke that if you cross the street on your bicycle without looking both ways, your parents probably knew about it before you even knew what happened. Well, if they were home, that was before <laughs> cell phones. <laughs> right. And everybody had working parents. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. We were very, very lucky. Uh, I grew up six miles out of town, and I don't know what age. I can't remember the first time I rode my bike into town and spent the whole day in town and Nobody was worried about me until I got home. And, you know, it, it was, uh, yeah, almost uh, Andy Griffith, like, Griffin, like, you know. Griffith, yeah, Andy yeah. Griffith. It, yeah. and, and it still is. Yeah. It's very much like that. Well, one of the cool things about our community, too, is the fish statue. I mean, if you've ever visited Nevis, you know it's home of the world's largest tiger muskie, but really it's home of the world's largest concrete tiger muskie statue. <laughs> That everybody gets their pictures affectionately taken next to if you're a tourist. And it's well taken care of. It's, oh, for sure. It, it, looks, it looks great, you know. And every year I go back and marvel at, I don't know who takes care of it, but the darn thing looks awesome it every looks year. It great. Yeah. And, and of course, our, our whole 
kind of like marketing uh, tagline is meet me at the muskie. Because if you're standing at the muskie, you're you're in the center of town. Anything that you want to do within the city <laughs> is within walking distance for sure. But one of the neat things that a lot of people don't realize, okay, Nevis High School, are they're the Nevis Tigers, okay? And the school colors are? Green and gold. Green and gold, right? What tiger do you know that's green and gold? Tiger muskies. He, he mans battle cat. That's the only one. But we used to be the Nevis Tiger muskies. Yep. And, and that's why we have the muskie statue in town. But, of course, to save money, uh, we are the Nevis Tigers. But Mike and I both graduated Nevis, as Nevis Tigers. Um, but then after school, you, you did some amazing things. I mean, after graduating high school, where did life take you? Well, I went to college for a year and... I couldn't decide if I wanted to major in uh, chasing girls or doing stuff outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> so school didn't. School was a third place finisher on that on that whole chart, and it didn't work out for me the best that it could have. And so I enlisted in the Air Force, and I did four years in the Air Force. Um, I would say it was uh, it was life changing for me. I needed I needed some space to grow, and and that was a really good spot for me. After that, I went to school to be a teacher, uh, kind of uh, like you did, and um, I thought that was going to be a really really good job. In fact, much like you, I thought I was going to teach, I was going to coach, and I was going to try to fish and guide in the summer because uh, I I really. I, I really enjoyed those things. I, I the the coaching aspect and the the teaching aspect, and then being able to do something that I love for a living. Um, I I taught for a year and it just wasn't for me. And I admire deeply admire people that can make a career of of teaching. I think it's one of the hardest, most thankless jobs in the world. And I. Uh, yeah, it, it wasn't for me. So I um, was lucky enough to um, get a position with the Fargo Police Department as a police officer. I went through the first uh, first police officer academy in Fargo. Uh, Lake Region College put it on at the time and in conjunction with the city of Fargo. And basically it was a, I was, I was lucky enough to be hired prior to going to that. And so the city of Fargo paid for my, paid my wage, paid my tuition and books and all my training materials. And um I want to say 13 of us went through that and then we had a class of 30 and then they hired another seven or eight from that class. And I did that for five years and man, what a great town. Uh, the city of Fargo, uh, it just keeps growing and growing and growing in that police department. The people of Fargo-Moorhead don't even realize how lucky they are to have um, maybe some of the most ethical hardworking police officers that I've ever worked with. And I've worked with many different states, uh, conservation officers, troopers, police officers, deputies. I've worked with many different agencies within the state. And the citizens of Fargo-Moorhead are so lucky to have those. I mean, just the, the Moorhead Police Department and the Fargo Police Department just top-notch, and, and Cass and Clay County as well. Just very top-notch agencies. Um, I was doing a job that I really loved, absolutely loved, and I was uh, sitting in the office one night about 3 in the morning, and it was 30 below in Fargo, North Dakota, don't you know? <laughs> and uh, I don't even remember what I was looking up, but I opened up the Minnesota DNR webpage, and there was a posting had just opened 
that evening at midnight or whatever, they had posted it uh, for conservation officers. And it was like the clouds parted and the angels sang. And I was like, I should apply for that. And I did. And a year later, I was in the academy and the rest is kind of history. So for listeners who don't know exactly what the academy is, what what does that entail? Oh, so um, I should maybe back up just a little bit more than that even. So I work for the Department of Natural Resources in Minnesota. I'm a conservation officer. In fact, I'm a lieutenant, a, a district supervisor for the, for the enforcement division of the DNR, the Minnesota DNR. And I say all of that because within the DNR, there's about 2,500 to 3,000 full-time employees. There are we are authorized to have 200, my division is authorized 200 peace officers, conservation officers in the state of Minnesota. We're by far one of the smallest uh, divisions within the DNR. So then, Mike, if somebody wanted to become a conservation officer, let's say that they've worked years at a certain career, and then like you, they decide, you know what, this, this might be a good life change for me. How do they go about doing that? Well, that's a great question because we have two distinct uh, tracks that you can take. Uh, if you are a licensed peace officer in the state of Minnesota, a trooper, a deputy, a police officer, or you have been through a skills class that would allow you to take the post exam, then we have what we can, we call our traditional hiring. And um, what that entails is... Um, you take a written test, you interview, um, if you pass both of those and rank high, high, high enough, we will do a background investigation. And then the senior administration selects the people that they want to hire from that. Then we, uh, put you through our Academy and I'll come back to that. But if, if, uh, let's just say that for years and years and years, you were a teacher and you wanted to be a conservation officer in the state of Minnesota. We have a program called Conservation Officer Prep. We call it CO Prep. And um, what we do is we take someone that has either a two-year or a four-year degree, and we send them down to Hennepin Tech down in the, the cities, and we pay for them to go to school. Uh, so we take care of the tuition and the books and all the fees and, and whatnot, and we pay them a salary while they're there. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a great it's a great uh, opportunity for people, and it's really increased our diversity, um, not just in the traditional sense of diversity that that people think of, but just in getting um, mature adults who are looking for a career change and who have a strong passion for the outdoors and and all that it entails. Um, so you go down to this program, and I believe it's right around. Um, three to four months long and you um they put you through the basic skills of what it takes to be a police officer in the state of minnesota and and what that does is prepares you uh for the for the post test and gives you just enough information to get you into our academy and um, we'll teach you what it is that we need to what we need you to know to go out and do your job as a conservation officer so let's just say you you completed both of those things and you interviewed and you did real well and we backgrounded you and we offered you a job. Before you were to start the academy, um, you'd be made a conditional job offer. And at that time, they would give you an idea of what stations were available, what 
places throughout the state are available and you'd rank your top, let's just say five to 10. And um, when you got your final job offer, the uh, chief would say, you know, we're, we're interested in you working for us. And this is where uh, we foresee you going as a, as a spot. And that's your opportunity to say, well, that isn't the right fit for me um, or, or say, that's great. I'll go there and, and we'll see what happens. So um, once you accept that final job offer, um, you're given a date to start the academy. The academy is 14 to 16 weeks long, and it's held. It's a, a Sunday evening through Friday evening in-person uh, live-in academy at Camp Ripley in Little Falls, Minnesota. And uh, there we teach you what it is that we want you to know to become a game warden. And you would think that a traditional police officer, or deputy, or trooper would have um, all the skills that's required to be a conservation officer, but but we do um, some stuff that's a little bit outside uh, what normal law enforcement does. Our primary mission is game and fish and rec outdoor recreation enforcement. That's our primary mission. Um, so that's that's really what we focus on. We do stuff like we have a snowmobile school where, where we teach people how to how to operate a snowmobile, um, doing law enforcement. We do two weeks of boat operations where we teach people who may or may not have ever operated boats how to back trailers and operate different types of watercraft. Sure. And if you've ever been checked by a conservation officer, I hope it went well, but we even teach approaches on how to approach other boats on the water to avoid um, damaging either our craft or, or the, the craft of the other watercraft operators that are out there and just makes makes it very smooth and and we work on that diligently so those are just a couple examples we have a week of of just uh game law enforcement where we where we talk about um going out and enforcing deer hunting laws and we practice doing deer shining details and we practice um checking hunting licenses and and what that what that all entails and People listening might think, well, you walk up and you say, you know, let me see your hunting license. Sure. Well, what do you have the person do with their gun? What do you have them do with their dog? Oh, yeah. Uh, if, you know, there's, there's, if you have to get out and walk across a, a swamp when you're chest waders and approach these duck hunters, you know, where, where do you stand? How do you stand? And, and what's hunter etiquette and, and all of these different things that, if you ha don't have a real strong background in hunting, you might not know. Even if you do have a strong background in hunting and you were always sure. a police officer, when you approach someone with a gun, that was pretty alarming to a lot of police officers. And I'm not saying that it's not alarming to us, but how we interact with people that have guns is and knives, frankly, is entirely different than police officers, deputies, and troopers when they see them in their environment as opposed to us in our environment. Sure. Well, how many years have you been a CO now? I started in the spring of 2007. Okay, so... I can't do that math. <laughs> I'm just a dumb cop. It's 19 years. 19, 19 years. Thank you. <laughs> I may teach kindergarten, but I can I can get past 10 carry, sometimes. Carry the... <laughs> <laughs> well, have you... And, and you're not directly in the field anymore. I am in the field. You yes. are in the yep. field. Okay. I, I, my, my position is a supervisor. Uh, probably if you watch, if you watch police serials or whatever they call them on TV, you know, you, 
my job is uh, I, I directly supervise the officers, so you can imagine what a what a sergeant does. Oh, sure. Um, but we also do the administrative role of a lieutenant as well. So um, in, in my unit, we are we're lieutenants. We we're kind of a cross between the the what the traditional lieutenant and what a sergeant would do. So we are in the field. We go out and supervise officers. Uh, worked all weekend. Had a great time out checking hunters, and um, yeah, it was. It was a very good weekend. Now, people might be listening to this, you know, a week or two yes. weeks or even a year after this, but currently right now, at least in, in this zone, is deer season. Like, you came out of the stand tonight. You got me on my day off. <laughs> I got you and on that's why I'm off. not in uniform, folks. <laughs> Which I, I, you know, we talked about that. Should you show up in uniform or not? And I really wanted people to see, too, that, that you're a normal person, that you're somebody who, who loves the outdoors and, and that, that uniform I mean, that's very formal. Um, you, when you and I get together, it never feels like you're in uniform because we're just talking like we have our entire lives. But, you know, one question I have thought about for a long time that I've never asked you is when you've been in the field, have you ever felt at risk or in danger at any time? Well, I think there's always... I'm I'm not not to be cliche about it or anything like that, but there's always danger. Um, you know, we're dealing with people often, so it's it's firearms deer season in Minnesota, um, and we call it rifle season. That's kind of the common nomenclature around here. Sure. Um, you know, so so people with high power rifle rifles, we're taking sometimes we're taking deer from them, sometimes we're taking cars from them, sometimes we're taking their firearms from them. Sometimes we're arresting those people and there is a elevated stress level during any of those situations. And then now we add a high power rifle in many cases in Minnesota. So there is some anxiety. Um, in fact, I was uh, working a bait case with over the weekend with the uh, officer that lives down in the Brainerd area and the we were approaching a, a deer stand that had tinted out windows all the way around and we couldn't tell if anybody was in there and it was a pretty substantial pile of bait and um we knew the person wasn't going to be happy and and so there was some anxiety because we didn't know which way the person was looking if they were even in there and so yeah there's you feel in danger from time to time um People get mad at us just like just like you see on cops or any of the other TV shows and, and sometimes wanna wanna fight or whatever it is. And we train our people very well and we uh we don't have backup like a traditional police officer does in many cases. Um you know, sometimes we're five miles down a minimum maintenance road and out on a ATV and you know, another two, three miles past the end of that minimum maintenance road. So your backup is a long, long way away. And one thing we really look for in our people is the ability to take a step back and just say, you know, what's, what's the goal here is, is, is the ultimate goal to arrest this person or is the ultimate goal that I go home? And I'm not saying that someone's going to get out of, uh, not face consequences because that officer feels like it's, uh, a better choice to step back and, and maybe maybe leave the area. But we want our people to go home and we'll 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 come back with um, the appropriate 
number of people to take care of the situation or or we'll freeze the scene and call for backup. There's lots of different options that we have as opposed to um, creating a situation where we put ourselves at risk or the suspect at risk or just maybe maybe even a bystander at risk. You know, sometimes, uh, especially in deer camps where you have often three, four, five, six or more people standing around, only one person's in trouble, right. but it's family that's in trouble right. and family sticks up for family. And we just, we need our officers just to go, I just need to step back and diffuse the situation a little bit. Sure. And, and we do a really good job at it. I have a really good job at it. I'm guessing that over the years uh, you've had some encounters with people that have been, how would I put it? Like you see the, the dumb criminal stories. Like one thing that, that one of my buddies wanted me to ask you was, what's the dumbest thing you've ever had somebody try to hide? The dumbest thing I've ever had somebody <laughs> try to hide. They didn't want to get busted for it, so they're trying to cover it up. Oh, that's a good, that's a good question. I'm going to have to come back to that one, but I'll tell you about a dumb criminal story. One of my first years working as a conservation officer, I'm driving down the road and in Minnesota, you can't bait deer. And, and that's, um, been going on for, for years now. And, um, it's a point of emphasis in Minnesota. It for several reasons. Um, first and foremost, it, it takes away from the fair chase so um, if someone is baiting on their pro private property, all the other neighborhood uh, landowners, typically that congregates the deer and it keeps them from moving on to other pieces of property. Sure. And, and it takes away fair chase. So they're essentially stealing from other people's grandkids and sons and daughters and just the other landowners. Yeah. Um, the other reason, uh, another reason recently is the CWD issue and the, the close nose to nose and saliva contact and stuff like that. So we, um, it's been a point of emphasis for the division of enforcement for quite a few years now, since before I started. So I'm driving down the road, it's the day before muzzleloader opening. And I, I look over and I see this path of yellow, like the yellow brick road going down this trail. And I stop on the road and I'm looking at it with my binoculars and it, just keeps going for, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 yards. So I get out and I, I start following because it's just odd. I'm like, did something spill here? What's going on? It's just this trail in the woods here. A landowner had taken a, a gravity box um, full of corn, opened up the side a little bit and drove out into the woods and made a big lap about a hundred yards long, <laughs> right around his deer stand, <laughs> closed it up and drove back up to the farm. So, we, we just see, we see stuff like that. Um, two of my partners had a gentleman call a neighbor in for baiting deer. Um, they got the directions, went out to the neighbor's property, walked in, uh, found the person sitting on the deer stand. Didn't look quite right, but it was pretty close. Found the person sitting on the deer stand and um, found the bait and uh, took the guy's gun and his hunting privileges and it ended up being the person that called in the neighbor that was baiting next door. <laughs> so they went over and took care of business with the neighbor next door as well. But, but <laughs> that's a two for one. Yeah, you know, and we we laugh and it's it's funny and it's fun, but you know, it's we we also try to do our job with grace and we try not and you know we we don't make fun of people when we we have to take 
law enforcement action on them and, and whatnot. And we can sit here and joke because I know that people buy the outdoor news specifically. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. For the, <laughs> yeah. cuffs for the and conservation call- <laughs> officer reports. Yeah, the cuffs and collars. I mean, because yeah. you just see some of the stuff we deal with. And it's, I, I tell people that we have the best seat at the greatest show on earth. And I mean it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I love it. And I, I said that about police being a police officer as well. But as a conservation officer, we are we are generalists in the law enforcement world. We know a little bit about everything from from drugs to deer baiting to um, domestic violence to wetlands violations. We just um, we expect our people to know a lot of stuff, and it's a great job, and we get to do a lot of neat stuff. So you're talking about how this neighbor had called in the other neighbor. Uh, Let's talk about the tip line a little bit. I mean, how important is that to the conservation officers in Minnesota? And, I mean, is that a common thing where you get a tip and it comes to fruition and you're able to give somebody a citation or at least address the issue? Or when you call in a tip, a a lot of times that kind of go by the wayside and and you're most, um, what would I say, the way that you encounter infractions more often is just simply checking hunters and anglers and, and, you know, ATVers, whatever in the field. We encounter most of our, um, most of our enforcement activity by just being out in the field. The tip line provides us very valuable information on some of our best poaching cases. Let's be honest. There is a, or let's be clear. There is a difference between someone who is intentionally poaching and someone who either takes advantage of a situation that they wouldn't normally or does something unintentional. We still have to address both of those and take care of both of those situations, but the poacher, the person who's out stealing from the rest of us, is the people that we are the most concerned of. So when we get good tips, or when we get tips, we take them very seriously. Sure. And and, uh, officers... Uh, especially this time of year, are looking forward to hearing from it, your listeners. But it, it could be any time of the year. And and if you're not sure how to get a hold of tip, get out your hunting and fishing license. It's on the back. Oh, sure. The number is on the back. And is there still, I mean, years ago there used to be a reward program. Is there still some type of monetary reward? Yep. So th- there are some options there. Um, the the So... The tip program is actually a non. The tip organization is actually a nonprofit in Minnesota that isn't uh, affiliated with the DNR. Um, it's actually a a private nonprofit that the DNR works with to to create these opportunities for people to to report this stuff. But it's not uh, through. It's not run through the DNR. So they they still do some monetary rewards. They do a uh, tip prints. Um, so depending on depending on what it is that that people report, sometimes sometimes it's money, sometimes it's a print, sometimes it's just hey, thank you, we appreciate it. And 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 people can either ask for that or they can just say, you know, that I'm just doing it because because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the right thing to do. Right. You know, it's interesting in uh, my kindergarten classroom, uh, and this is something listeners should take note of. If you have a young child, specifically five or six years old, and you are breaking the law in front of them, 
they will tell everything. So I hear that sometimes. You know, I, I had a kid in class that talked about going grouse hunting. And I said, oh, did you go out in the woods? Uh, no, we didn't go in the woods. Said, well, where did you go? Oh, we drove, we drove around in the truck. And I said, did you get any grouse? Yeah, yeah, we got one. And I said, so like your dad got out of the truck and went and shot it. And he says, no, he just, he just rolled down the window and shot out the window. And I said, well, wasn't that loud? And he said, no, he gave me these special earphones to wear. <laughs> You know, and I just even, uh, you know, just fairly recently had uh, a kindergartner that was talking about his dad and how he put out the red block right mm. by the deer stand, you know. And, and for me, you know, I can't take that hearsay from a five-year-old and think it's legitimate because there could be a lot of variation there because kindergartners fib a lot. They do. And I, in fact, I tell parents, I will only believe... 50% of what your child tells me about you, if you only believe 50% of what they tell you about me, <laughs> because there's a lot that can be convoluted there. But, you know, if somebody does see an infraction, and, and this is something I was thinking about today. If I witnessed somebody breaking the law, a fish and game law, mm -hmm. and I don't turn them in, do I have some level of culpability there? The simple answer is no. If if you if you didn't participate in that at all, right? No, you're driving down the road and you see someone else shooting from the road, and you don't know that person. No, you're there's and you don't report that. No. If you're an outdoors person, it's your responsibility. Sure. Because that deer doesn't belong to that person. That deer belongs to all of us. If you're, you know, if you see someone leaving garbage on the ice, that lake belongs to all of us. You know, if you don't want to go over and pick it up, or if you don't want to say, Hey buddy, you know, can you pick your stuff up? Um, then for sure. Let one of us know. Yeah, no, but there, but no, the person that's just out fishing and see someone keep an illegal length walleye or four or five or six, no, you're not, there's no culpability there, but there's responsibility there. Sure. And it's protecting the animals too, because they can't protect themselves. Yeah. For sure. Yep. What, uh, what role has technology played in, I mean, over these 19 years, I'm guessing that has changed dramatically. Like now a tip might not just be a phone call. They might have evidence of a video or a picture. And I'm also curious about social media. Like, does anybody ever post... Uh, a picture on social media that gets them in trouble with a conservation officer. What was the first question? <laughs> the first part. Sorry. I just went down this road and I, I was cooking on it. I, I, it was all coming to, coming to fruition in my head. Uh, so the first question was about technology and, oh. and how that has changed and, and contributed to, uh, really your job. Yeah. So that is a, I mean, <laughs> flip, we were still using flip phones when I first, right. when I first started. Right. And, uh, getting videos from, you could, people could take videos, but remember they were jerky oh, yeah. and the, the horrible, uh, resolution. Um, yeah, we get some very good evidence. Well, not just, not just cell phones, but right now, cell phone camera or um the game cam game cameras that have the cell capability oh, yeah oh 
if yeah if you're out poaching on private property <laughs> they're they're gonna get you so somebody's gonna get you and and post a picture of it. i mean uh chad chad sackett one yep. of our neighbors uh he has pictures out right now looking for the guy poaching on his property and I'm guessing somebody's going to know who that fella is in, right. in, in Nevis, the big city. <laughs> the, big, the big city, <laughs> you know, so yeah, that the, uh, the technology is instantaneous. And a story about that is, um, we had a complaint of, uh, some violations going on and, um, it, one neighbor called in another neighbor. And, um, so my, one of my guys called and said, Hey Mike, can you drop me off? And I'm like, yeah. So I run him out to this property and drop him off. And the landowner that had called on the other neighbor, um, we're, we're just chat. Chad went out, investigated, came back, jumped in my truck and we took off and he calls Chad and he's the landowner calls and says, Hey, are you on my property? And Chad's like, uh, I just was, we're, we're just checking that complaint. And he's like, Oh, okay, good. I saw green pants. <laughs> <laughs> it was that fast. He Chad Chad went by one of his game cameras, didn't see it, and boom, the the landowner knew that that somebody was out there. So yeah, it's incredible, and the resolution on these cameras is better than it's ever been day and night. And yeah, it it's, makes a lot of cases for us. It, they're better than the bank cameras and store cameras that you see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, somebody robs a bank, you can't even tell who they are, nope. but out in the woods. You come to Nevis, Minnesota, and you walk on somebody's property, mm -hmm. they're going to be able to see if you have acne or not. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> yep. You can't even tell if it's a man or a woman on the bank camera, but right. yeah, we can tell what we can tell what pattern of camouflage you're wearing. And if you ate ribs for for lunch, yep. Yeah, he should have wiped his face. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So you were talking to about you know the the whole enforcement part of it and the difference between police officers and um, conservation officers and how diverse your position is. But one thing I've heard, and, and you can tell me if this is true or not, but that conservation officers have more jurisdiction than a police officer. Like, for instance, that you could search a property or, or search somebody's vehicle without a search warrant. Well, the basic rules for searches still come into play for conservation officers. But once, generally... Mm -hmm. And there are some except, exceptions to search warrants and, um, you can, you can Google them. They're on Wikipedia and you can see what those exceptions are. Private property, um, is, is another thing entirely, um, property, like let's just say acreage, mm -hmm. There is no expectation of privacy. The Supreme Court has ruled that there is no expectation. It's called the open fields doctrine of privacy on your acreage. The curtilage, the area that is private, where you do have an expectation of privacy, is in and around your dwellings. Specifically, your abode, your house. Mm -hmm. um, so an example is um, we have a complaint that someone without a hunting license of some type is hunting on uh, 80 acres of property. Even if there are no trespassing signs all the way around that property, a conservation officer or frankly, any law enforcement officer could go on that property to investigate. There is no expectation of privacy. However, we have a complaint of someone hunting without a license 
and you and we were told that that person is in this house here there is there is an expectation of privacy an officer couldn't just come up and search that house for that person so then on top of all of that there are some regulatory checks that conservation officers can do um, if you're participating in outdoor recreation, specifically hunting or fishing, that a normal police officer, we can compel you to show us your game. Sure. Um, your wild animals. Compel, you can compel us. Yes. You can, so like you could come up to me and you could say, hey, how's fishing? Mm-hmm. What do you got? And no, what? And I, yes. So if you um, look up the state versus uh, Clisimo, you can, it's a, it's a, it's a great read. <laughs> it, and I'm not kidding as a, as a, as a angler, as a guide, as an outdoors person, you should read it. Um, and uh, the, the person had game and fish um, in their possession on their boat. And the officer compelled them to uh, show that fish specifically and the boat owner who was an attorney uh refused and was uh cited for refusal so there there are there are things that we can do that a regular officer wouldn't necessarily do on a on a day-to-day basis i seem but to we, remember this case but we but we have no more jurisdiction to use your term than okay. than any other peace officer. It's just um, the the state has allowed us to do some things, and and the in the state supreme court has allowed us to do some things to people in the state of Minnesota. Luckily, we are very fortunate that people are passionate about protecting this great resource that we have. I mean, there's a reason that the city of Nevis keeps growing. That Walker keeps growing, that Bemidji <laughs> keeps growing, that Brainerd Baxter. I mean, people want to be in this. Absolutely. Well, I, I'd like to shift directions just a little bit too, since this is the Ice Team podcast. And by the way, I'm your host, Jason Durham, here with conservation officer and longtime friend, Mike Martin. Let's talk ice fishing a little bit. We've spent time on the ice, lots of time on the ice, and you've spent time on the ice out in the field. What are some of the most common infractions that you encounter? Well, I think, you know, probably the, the most common infraction that we encounter on the ice is probably licensing stuff. Sure. And, and that could be, um, you know, the, the wheelhouses not being correctly licensed, uh, people not having licenses are, are, are probably the most most common after that and i don't understand it personally but it's just having too many lines sure and you know it might not even be one or two extra lines it might be four eight or you know anything like that um the other thing on the ice is again back to licensing is the recreational vehicle that's being used. Oh, sure. Snowmobile ATV has some issues and, and that, and that falls within our purview as well. And so that's probably though the, the licensing things and in, in those three kind of areas are probably the biggest, the biggest part. And why are licenses important? 
you know, uh, people, well, can't I just go get one? You know, they try to try to get out of them and the, the ticket or the enforcement action. Sometimes it's just a warning. It just really depends on the circumstance. Sure. But, you know, licenses provide the cash flow for much of what the DNR does as a whole. And it's very important for us to have that revenue to continue to provide the opportunities that we provide in Minnesota. Even I would argue in the last 20 years and not as, and not as a DNR employee at all, but as an outdoors person in the last 20 years, think about the number of record muskies that we've had oh, yeah. caught in Minnesota. Right. Think about, think about this sturgeon fishing in oh, Minnesota. Sure. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of this thing in Minnesota, but this opportunity, and I don't even truly don't even know how much of a, of a hand you're smiling. Cause you know what I'm going to say in this, but eel pelt fishing, eel pelt in, fishing in Minnesota, the amount of big fish that we've had caught and released and the opportunities that we've had, the, the special sunfish regulations lakes, the opportunity to catch Big fish in Minnesota in my lifetime, I don't remember I don't remember a better time. I would agree with you. I know I people agree. talk about I know people talk about right. bigger crappies, bigger sunfish, bigger perch. Growing up fishing leech and winnie, I remember more perch. I don't remember bigger perch. Mm -hmm. Growing up fishing sunfish in this area, I remember more fish. I don't remember bigger fish. I the opportunity for big big fish in Minnesota right now, and a lot of it has to do with the revenue dollars and the opportunities that the DNR can provide. I would say that in conjunction with probably a higher awareness from anglers, you know, that are that, that know that they should put those big fish back. Yes. You yes. know, I, I had somebody um, this summer that wanted to keep these giant bluegills, and it was it was really difficult to talk them out of that. It was really really hard to do, um, but I think the especially anglers that are coming up in today's age, that's just like protocol. Yeah. That's just what you do. Um, so getting back to the license, as you were talking about, a lot of anglers have infractions of maybe not, like not having their license along with them. And I've thought this for a long time. Why do we still have the paper license? We've got technology. We've got the cell phones. Mm -hmm. You know, why, why isn't there, why can't you just pull out your phone and go, do, 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 oh, there's your name. Okay, I saw your driver's license. It says that you have a fishing license why can't we do that yeah <laughs> believe it or not uh so i work in central minnesota there are spots that we don't have cell coverage sure and that's really so you're up in the boundary waters right you know exactly. it, you might as well have a brick in your hand and 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 that kind of a cavalier response but it but a lot in a lot of cases you can purchase your license online and put it on your cell phone. Sure. So that's what I recommend people do. Purchase your license, put it on your cell phone, and, and you know, who's going to be without their cell phone? Then you right. can just show us. Could you, could you buy the hard copy mm -hmm. and just take a picture of it? Ooh, you know, that's a, that's a black and white question, uh, a very black and white question with a gray answer. I think under the letter of the law, no. I think under the spirit of the law, probably. But letter of the law, no, I don't think. I think you need to have that that hard copy. And then what happens? What happens? 
somebody decides to do this, okay, they're going to purchase their license online. Mm -hmm. They're going to screenshot that mm-hmm. license so they have it on their phone and then you come to check them and they pull it out you have seen just a flash of it and their phone goes dead just like anything in law enforcement it's incumbent on that office if that officer was going to take law enforcement action and i would strongly discourage <laughs> any of my officers from taking any law enforcement action on that i'm more worried about that cell phone going in the water than i am about whether that person has a license oh, sure. or not at that point because we can take down their information and we can go back to our office and look that person up. And that, that is, if someone has a license and they say, I have a license, I bought it at Lutcher's um, gas station and uh, I bought it the day before opening of walleye season this year, that's pretty specific information and I can go back and look that up very readily and I, I would tend to believe someone if they had that story um when i first started as a conservation officer we actually had a affidavit that people would sign i don't have a license but i bought one officer oh well let me take down your information oh, sure. here sign this also know that if you are lying to me that is a misdemeanor offense to lie to me as well And they would either sign it or they'd say, you know, officer, I don't have a license. <laughs> maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe I was I don't. a little bit. Yeah. So with technology, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to not have a license nowadays. Right. It's so easy to get one. Um, and the reason I asked about having that electronic license wasn't necessarily for me because I knew right away mm-hmm. you're not going to have cell phone coverage everywhere. We right. don't. There's areas right here we don't have cell phone coverage. Right. Um, but I, I hear people complain about that. Said, well, why doesn't, why don't they just allow you to have it on your phone? And, and in reality, you really do. I had an interesting thing happen last summer, uh, two summers ago, excuse me, where we got checked by a conservation officer um, while I was on a guide trip. And I had some people from Iowa. They asked to see the licenses. And the guy says, I have a picture of it on my phone. Is that okay? And the CO said, absolutely. So he hands his phone over and the con- conservation officer says, are you Trisha? And he says, no, that's my wife. And he says, well, that's whose license you have. And so he, he had actually taken a picture of the wrong, because they got a, a mm-hmm. husband-wife yep. license. He took a picture, a screenshot of the wrong one. And the officer was good about it. Yeah. He gave him a chance to yep. you know, look him up and everything, and, yep. and everything was cool. But We try to give people grace. I mean, really, we do. It, as a police officer, my personal limit was 15 over if you're going 15 over you're getting a ticket Mm -hmm. in game and fish there's a lot more this is recreation it's supposed to be fun but we, we still need to follow the rules but this is supposed to be fun so we don't we try to be um forgiving of people uh to the extent of when they may or they might they might have Everything they need, but they might not have it with them, or they might have the wrong part of it, or whatever it is. We really try to delve into it and, and just figure it out, help them figure it out, sure. figure it out with them. Right. You know, we're not looking to, to hurt people for the most part. If you're poaching, that's entirely different. Sure. But yeah. if you're doing, if you're trying to do the right thing, for the most part, you're. We we can tell that. Sure. And we really try to teach our people to go that way when when possible you know to, to to give people the benefit of the doubt 
Uh, years ago, I, I interviewed a longtime conservation officer from our area, Mike Lawrence, and after he had retired. And the one thing Mike said that really stuck with me is far more people have talked themselves into a ticket than have ever talked themselves out of a ticket. Do you see people, you know, get upset and, and kind of go down that road where I was going to give you leniency, I was going to help you out, but you're going the wrong route? No. Can it happen? Yes. But I think people, to me, that's almost a vindictive officer sure. that, that would allow someone to, to push their buttons enough that I was going to give you a warning, but now you're getting a ticket. Does it happen? Have I done it? Yes. But it has to be pretty egregious. Sure. Um, but not, in my estimation, I see people get the benefit of the doubt substantially <laughs> more than talk themselves into tickets. Sure. And not just from my officers, but from officers statewide. Sure. And when you approach somebody, you, you, you're out on the lake, okay? You're walking a, a frozen pond, and there's a guy out there, a woman out there, maybe by themselves, maybe together, whatever. As soon as you approach, do you notice people start to become a little uneasy, even if they haven't broken any fishing game laws? Yeah, I always tell the story. So I was watching a couple old guys that I, I knew that fished almost every day down in the St. Cloud area. And I watched them. They were just, just hammering the sunfish, but not, not one of them was longer than a pop can. You know, just, just little guys, and they were throwing them back as fast as they, they catch them. And I, I, uh, they, they had their backs to me. It was a windy day, and I used some fish houses, and I walked up to them and said, hey, guys, how's it going? And they're like, hey, Mike, how's it going? You know, and we started talking. I'm like, how's fishing? Horrible. Horrible, Mike. <laughs> Haven't caught anything all day. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, um, I think part of it is people are afraid that they, they may, might have done something wrong and they don't want to, you know, they're, they're nervous that they might have done something wrong inadvertently maybe. I, I don't know what it is, but yes, I, I see that very often that people's demeanor changes once they realize who you are. I know exactly what happened in that situation. I know exactly what happened. They saw you come up, they've been catching fish, and they thought he is going to tell somebody that we're catching fish, and then we're not going to be alone out here anymore, that we're going to have other people on our spot, on our uh, secret spot. That happens. That could possibly, and I will tell you that when people ask me where the fish are biting, I tell them the same thing every time. You wouldn't want me to tell if it was your spot. Oh, that's a great answer. It and, really is. And, and I, don't mean that to, I don't mean that to be, you know, I can point you in the right direction. I can point you to the right lake and tell you 15 feet of water on a weed line or something like that, but I am not going to point you to someone else's spot. Right. Because they've worked hard to find that. They've probably spent the $2,500 for the forward-facing sonar. You know, whatever it is. They, they've done something. They found the fish, and they're sitting on them. I'm not going to give them up. It would be kind of hard for me because to be a conservation officer, to be in your position, because, like, for me as a guide, Okay, there's a lot of, lot of I, don't, I don't want to call them secret spots. You know, water's community water. 
But there's areas that I know about that maybe other people don't know about. And I just like to hear about fishing. And I always tell people I'm an open book. If you're coming to our area, I am going to help you catch fish, whether you're coming on a trip with me, or if you just give me a text message or an email or whatever, I'm going to try to help you out and put you on fish. Well, I love to hear fish stories. I love to hear successes. So I'll stop in the bait shop in the morning. There might be somebody buying a scoop of crappie minnows and I'll say, oh, you're going out crappie fishing. Where are you heading? And they'll say, to the lake. You know, like they don't want to give it up to me. And the thing is, if they would tell me, if they would tell me exactly where they were going, oh, we're going crappie fishing, we're going on Fish Hook Lake, here's the exact spot, they're biting like mad right here. Even if I had already planned to go to that spot, I wouldn't do it. Right. Because I wouldn't want them to think that I was honing in on, you know, their area, even though it, it's all public water. Right. Right. So as a conservation officer, that would be hard for me to, you know, encounter somebody that might be on an area that I fish frequently and they're catching fish. And then you're kind of like, well, I don't really want to go back because they're going to think mm -hmm. that I got that information from them and I'm trying to impede on their area. Yeah, our conservation officers live and work in the areas that, or live in the areas that they work in. I mean, live in their communities. And if, uh, you know, if I lived in Nevis, you and I would encounter each other oh, yeah. frequently, right? We, we, even when I don't live here, if we bump into each other from time to time on the ice. And it's a common complaint from people who fish a lot that the conservation officers are only checking them to see where the fish are biting so they can go take their spots. In the academy, we discuss specifically about when you live in these communities and you check people where the fish are biting really well or there's uh, abundance of pheasants or ducks or whatever it is and you know their secret spot now so to speak and it's not secret it might be on public property it might be on it will be on the water and none of that is um anyone else's property right it's all of our property mm. but we talk about the ethics of that and what is the right thing to do if you have been fishing an area for years and you go out and check uh, someone and they are catching a lot of fish. Do you go back and fish that area the next day, the next that day, what, whatever it is? And it's stuff that we have to we have to discuss and, and really determine with the with the newest officers what what's the right thing to do? How do we approach that? And and there is no right or wrong answer here. It's just, you know, what is the perception? And but I would also argue that, you know, the we as a society probably need to discuss that and come to terms with some of that too. With with technology today, the people taking pictures of fish. Uh, I see people every day with binoculars watching other people fish and trying to figure out what they're doing and and then boning in on their spots. And okay, yeah. so this is this is something I I, I just I love thinking about. You're, you've got your binoculars uh -huh. and, and you're watching somebody with their binoculars and then, and then they, and then they turn and you're both looking at each other in the binoculars. That has happened. Oh, that has happened. <laughs> that happens. Yeah, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm doing my job correctly, they don't know where I am because we're right. not typically on the water when we're glassing, but sometimes we are, you know, so, um, yeah, you know, every, and 
we're getting off course here again, Jason. <laughs> Which as, is good. As usual. You know, we con- said ice fishing and beyond. And beyond. We are so I don't even I don't even remember what the last question was, but you know, so you you might find this interesting or funny, but um we all know we know people on on the lakes that we know and trust and who have allowed us access through the years to walk on to different lakes at different spots, you know, because you can't always get on the public accesses. Well, so do the conservation officers. That every conservation officer that works in this area probably has a spot or two on a lake where they can sit in somebody's driveway on their lawn chair, whatever it is, and watch people fish. Sure. And and just evaluate what's going on. And sometimes I'll sit and I'll watch for five minutes and I'll go, hmm, nobody's catching anything here. We're out. We're going to go to the next place. Um, you know, sometimes it's sit and watch and count fish. How many people, how many are they putting in their live well? Sure. You know, so yeah, just it just really depends. So there are there are allies on on the lakes that that either watch people for us or or let us sit in their yards or on their docks or whatever it is. And yeah, it's an interesting interesting part of the job finding finding the allies on on the lake or in in, sure. a, in a certain spot. Well, since we've talked about technology, but I mean, one of the things that's available on a phone now that makes it easier for ice anglers is having an app like Onyx Hunt where you can see property owners. You might ask for permission to get in on a lake, mm-hmm. but you can also see where there's public land. You can see where there's trails. So let's say that there's a, a private lake because, of course, ice fishing, there's more access. There's mm-hmm. more access than open water because if you're bringing a boat or carrying a canoe or something like that, um, it's a little more difficult than if you're just walking in with an auger and, and a rod and reel. But do you see some of those instances where, or, or has it increased now that people can look on their phone and see, okay, this is the way that I get to this lake. And, and from the center line of the road, the water's only this far, and I should just be able to jump out of my truck onto the lake. And then you've got a landowner that, that owns property on the lake and they're upset. Have you seen an increase in those types of situations? Um, or is that I, something I, that's just eternal that it's, it's going to happen? Yeah, I think, you know, and let, let's be clear for the most part in Minnesota, unless it's a man-made body of water, there is no such thing as a private lake. Oh, public. If it's on the public waters inventory, it is public water. That means you can. While you're on that water, you can do whatever is legally allowed on that water. Now, how you access that water <laughs> is is different. You can't people. I know what you're saying when you say private lake. Maybe someone or so, a group of people own all the land around that lake, and there is no public access to that lake. That lake is still that lake still belongs to the public. And if you can legally access it, a helicopter, um, going through someone else's property, probably more likely, mm-hmm. um, floating a canoe down a creek, using waders, whatever it is, then you can, that is not private water. That is, that is public water. So I don't think it's increased. I think it's just, I, in fact, I would argue that in some, in some instances it's in, it's, uh, relief on x specifically that that type of app has relieved some tensions because you can say well 
I, I understand where you're where you're going with this, but this is what it shows here. These are typically pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see the property owners on there. You so see, you can actually contact them right, right. And, and, and get permission to access. Right. So my next question for you, Mike, is are you willing to go in half seas on a helicopter? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Just think but about I, these lakes around here. But I am not letting you tr- operate it. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I see how you treat that ice fishing truck. <laughs> <laughs> true this is true <laughs> and they say that you got to take care of those things i don't know uh, wouldn't that be incredible oh it would be it would be because there are there's lakes that you and i have talked about mm. since we were kids like could you imagine getting into that lake like nobody fishes it just to go test it just to just see to what, go see not even to keep anything yeah. just to look at the fish and hold them and let them go i yeah, think i think yeah. there's a lot there's definitely a lot more ice anglers that take that approach now. Oh, and really? They just want to see the fish, yeah. look at it, take a picture, let it go. I I talked to a guy last year out ice fishing, wearing wearing rubber gloves. I'm like, oh yeah, I've been seeing a lot of people wearing rubber gloves like that. They say it keeps your hands warm. I haven't found that. I my hands seem just as cold. But he's like, yeah, I can't touch fish. I'm allergic to them. I can't oh, yeah. even I can't even eat them. Yep. But I love fishing. You know, you think of the you think of the kill mentality from the seventies and eighties where the only reason you fished was to keep fish to eat, right? Right. And the bigger the walleye, the better. Yeah. And because you're gonna eat it, but yeah, that isn't yeah, we're I mean, I think the tide has turned. Catch and release is definitely a it's definitely caught on and has I think it'll continue. I think so too. So talking about keeping fish and then I know one thing that happens a lot uh, is gifting fish. You know, you you know a neighbor mm-hmm. or maybe it's even family members and you've caught these fish, you've you've cleaned them and everything, mm-hmm. you want to gift them to to them. How yep. does that work? So you can gift fish, um you can you can gift any wild animals. Um it needs to it, and it talks about it in the fishing regs and the hunting regs book. Uh just generally, you need to have the location that they were caught they need to have the license number of the person that that caught them the date and you can say i had uh some fish i wanted to give you i could give you those fish um those those fish are still my fish until you eat them so um you need to you need to consume them and and take care of them so i can go out and catch more fish but I can I can give I can give fish away every so day. So you just want to make sure if you gift them to somebody, they're eating them quick. Well, if not, you if you intend to keep them. Yeah. So like the same old guys that keep fish every day, they they they, they take them. They um I when I check these guys down in Saint Cloud, every day if the limit is ten, they keep nine. Every day they keep nine. Every day they keep nine, and they take them to the old folks' home. They give them to the to the old folks there, and those those. Those people fry them up as fast as they as they get them, you know, and they know that they can go out and they can catch their catch and keep their nine fish. Sure, you can catch as many as you want, right? Right. So you can do it. I I gift um venison mostly went to to friends and family. Sure. Um, and and that's like sausage is a little bit different. Um. But still, what I recommend people do is protect 
themselves. It's the conservation officer, if they get a report that you have too many fish, you need to be able to articulate where these fish are going, you know, who's getting them, when, what they're doing with them. Because what we're trying to prevent is freezers full of fish. Sure. And I bet every one of your listeners, viewers, can think of somebody that they know that loves to stockpile fish. Right. And I think that mentality is slowly fading away. And I understand. I I love having a good fish fry too. And there there's just, there's legal ways to do that, you know. And the the best most legal way to do it is to take other people fishing with you. Right. I totally agree. A hundred percent. Take your kids fishing. If they're Minnesota residents, they can keep their limit. If they can if they can hold their fishing pole, they can yeah. keep a Minnesota li- limit. You can party fish. When I go fishing with Jason, he catches all the fish. I don't catch hardly any. That's not true. Jason and my boy <laughs> catch all the fish. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so talking about that party fishing then. Let's say that you and I are fishing together, mm-hmm. and let's let's even make it a little more complicated because we have a few lakes in our do, area. Do we need like to? This. Yeah, yeah. We are not going to talk about special regs lakes. Okay, we oh, won't okay. talk about special regs. Okay, let's say you and I go out fishing, and we, uh, I keep a limit of sunfish. Mm-hmm. Okay, and no, how about perch? I keep a limit of perch, and you keep a limit of perch, and we leave the lake. And they're all in my truck. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we drive together. We're, we're, we're with each other, but we're in separate vehicles. We get to my house and my wife, I'm not married, but we're just making this up. This is facetious. We are really making this <laughs> <Yeah>. up. <laughs> my wife uh, is there and she's licensed. And you say, you can have all the fish. Yeah. That would work. That would work. Now, let's say that we're driving together. We've left the lake. We both have a limited perch. They're all in my truck. Mm -hmm. You make a little swing into the restaurant to get a burger and everything. And now I get pulled over with double my limit. Happens often. Happens often. Yeah. Did you protect yourself somehow? No. No. No, you gave me that advice and I didn't (laughs) do it in this specific story. I don't understand why... (laughs) I, I get it. It's convenient, right? Right. I, I get it. Protect yourselves, folks. You know the signs? What, those special regs lakes? What color are those signs? Uh, well, they should be even brighter green in my But they are, they are bright green. <laughs> yeah. So, Jason, I'll just tell a story to, the, to your folks here. So, Jason meets me and my boy last spring for uh, fishing on one of the local lakes that has special regs. And I had not intended to keep a limit of fish. And I told my son that he could keep 10 fish because that was what the special reg was. And he could keep the 10 fish. And lo and behold, the special reg had changed from 10 fish to five (laughs) fish. Yeah. And so luckily we were fishing together, Cal and I, and he kept my limit and his limit because I had already told him he could keep 10 fish. But so my whole point of that story is, folks, please check the bright green signs yeah. at public accesses. It You need to protect yourself. Those signs say something important, and we need you to take a look at them. 
to protect, in this case, the size of the fish that we're catching. Um, it's really helped. I mean, what, three years? You can already see the difference. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just reminding them that ignorance Oh. <laughs> Why would you point at me when you not, say that? <laughs> ignorance is not an excuse, right? Right. Yeah. No, nope. we gotta. Yeah, we gotta protect ourselves here for sure. Before we go, Mike, and I, I really appreciate you being here with me tonight. Uh, this has been just an absolute treat. Like it always is, spending time with you. You know, you're gonna be canceled after this. Yeah, right? probably, probably. <laughs> but what I want to know, being a conservation officer, um. Obviously, some great things about the job. You get to be outside. Um, you know, you get to work with people. You work in wildlife. What are some of the negatives of it? Well, I think you. I think you know the answer to this you, because some families do Christmas or Thanksgiving. You know, my family does deer season. Right. I love what I do so much that I was willing to give up deer hunting for the most part, the family portion of deer hunting for the next, you know, for 25 years to, to protect what I think is important. Not being able to be with my siblings and my parents and my, my nieces and nephews and my own kids on opening weekend of deer season is hard, mm -hmm. but it's got, I will say it's got easier in the last 10 years with, you know, cell phones and, you know, FaceTiming and, you know, we can all celebrate together so it that that's probably one of the hardest things. Um, you know, I, it's when when somebody allows a kid to do something wrong, or encourages a kid to do something mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah, that would probably be this. You know, one of the second or be one of the other hard things that I don't enjoy about the job when I have to take law enforcement action on either a youth that has done something egregious enough that they are, you know, potentially losing some hunting or fishing privileges over or a parent because they've allowed that to happen or encouraged that to happen. That's, that's hard because, you know, in your profession and in mine, we both know that there are a million things that those kids that could be doing that's probably way worse than the game and fish violation that they just committed. But at the same time, it's part of society's rules that this is something that's important to us as a society, especially in Minnesota and especially northern Minnesota. But that we we need these kids, this, this particular child or you know young adult, whatever it is, needs to take notice that this is not acceptable and we need to take law enforcement action. So those are probably the two sure. in instances. But what I know about you, Mike, is that the positives far, far, far outweigh the negatives. And I was even, as we were talking about when, if somebody's interested in getting into, you know, becoming a conservation officer, a game warden, the pay is good. The pay is good. You get to be outside. You get to do what you love. Um, there really are a lot of benefits. And so if somebody wanted to look into this further, where, th where should they go? Um, go right to the MNDNR website and, if, and go to the enforcement page, and it'll walk you right through recruitment and all of that. 
if you don't have a computer easily accessible to you, your internet's down, whatever it is, call 1-888-MINNDNR, and you can ask for a conservation officer to talk to you about uh, becoming a conservation officer. And they might not be able to get you in touch with somebody right away that day, but they will um, have somebody in your area, if you live in Minnesota, uh, get a hold of you and talk to you about becoming a conservation officer and maybe pointing you in the right direction. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me and coming up here to talk a little bit of fishing, a little bit of hunting, a little bit of everything, ice fishing and beyond. <laughs> and I also wanted to tell you, um, you know, or like I said, our listeners might be catching this at a later date, but tomorrow's veterans day. And I wanted to say thank you for your service thank you. because that's a big deal. Thank so. you. That's Conservation Officer Mike Martin. Thanks for being here. And this is Jason Durham telling you thanks for tuning in to the Ice Team Podcast. Make sure to check it out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And of course, follow Ice Team on social media, Facebook, and Instagram. And I want to remind you, be safe, be smart, and be a hero. Take somebody fishing. Take somebody fishing. <laughs>